Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Destination Disaster. I'm your host, Devin Carney. Before we jump into today's episode, there are a few housekeeping notes that I'd like to cover beforehand. If you'd like to get into the content, please feel free to fast forward approximately 3 minutes and the content will begin. For Season 2, the launch of Patreon was one of my main goals for this podcast. Prior to the end of Season 1, I said that each month I will take a portion of the Patreon donations and donate them to a smaller charity that may not have the funding that some of the larger charities have. Mainly, I'd like to focus on donating to human rights charities, disaster relief, and minority-focused charities. I didn't create this podcast to make a profit, and the goal of this podcast is to remain 100% free to all, so please don't feel like you are obligated to sign up, and only do so if you are 100% sure. Coming up later in the season, merch will also become available to those who only wish to make a one-time purchase. This will initially include a high-quality sticker that you can place anywhere and includes a QR code for you to help share the podcast with your community. Down the road, hoodies, hats, and potentially even more will become available. My goal for this season is to continue the growth that we've seen, and I believe that with the merch, the launch of Patreon, and the rebrand that we have set this podcast up for success. Please continue to check on Instagram and Twitter for updates concerning the launch of merch. And the final announcement that I have to make is that Destination Disaster will be moving to bi-weekly uploads. This will allow me to generate higher quality content for you guys out there. A new, recurring segment that will be launching here on Destination Disaster in between episodes will be short 30 second to 1 minute clips that will include any major news concerning disaster impacts, updates on COVID relief, and anything major that hasn't been covered on the national media outlets. Now, who's ready to get into the content for Season 2? This week, we're going to kick it off with a threat of a tsunami impacting the eastern coast of the United States, Caribbean islands, and South American countries. This is a topic that I'm not sure many are aware of that live here on the east coast. Growing up here, you only hear about hurricanes, tornadoes, and the occasional snowstorm, but not tsunamis. Another reason that I worry is the fact that many communities along the east coast of the United States are either at sea level or lie just below. In reality, the only known tsunami impact to occur here on the east coast happened approximately 35 million years ago when a meteorite impacted the Atlantic Ocean near what is now Cape Henry, Virginia on the eastern shore. Waves here potentially raced across the entirety of Virginia and washed over the Blue Ridge Mountains. With only this bit of information to rely on, how accurate could predictions of future tsunamis be here? While not an impending risk on the east coast, we must be ready for the eventuality that an event could trigger a tsunami that gives us little time to react. For those of you unaware of what exactly a tsunami is, 
According to NOAA, a tsunami is best defined as giant waves caused by earthquakes or volcanic eruptions under the sea. Tsunami waves may travel as fast as jet planes over deep waters, only slowing down when reaching shallow waters. While tsunamis are often referred to as tidal waves, this name is discouraged by oceanographers because tides have little to do with these giant waves. Tsunamis are incredibly dangerous due to the sheer amount of force that these waves carry with them. Some of the best examples to look for if you're interested in experiencing these waves without having to see them firsthand is by looking on YouTube. These waves can travel inland for miles and take nearly everything that isn't bolted down to a foundation with it. This is why when there is a threat of a tsunami making landfall, you are told to seek higher ground on hills or buildings that are built to withstand these forces. Unfortunately, building codes here within the United States do not take into account appropriate consideration for tsunami-related hazards. It's possible that if we were to experience a considerable tsunami here on the Virginia coast alone, that many of the buildings we see overlooking the ocean could potentially be swept away and lives lost to the building codes here within the United States not meeting those standards. The simple fact here is that without consideration for these hazards, we are all sitting ducks with little access to evacuation routes and adequate shelter from such a hazard. Tsunamis come in several different compositions and sizes mainly due to what the cause for this tsunami was and at what depth this occurred at. As stated in the definition above, tsunamis can travel at speeds that match that of an airliner. 500 miles per hour gives you very little time to react. Many also believe that tsunamis are one singular wave. That is not the case at all and in reality can contain several waves that have reverberated from the site of the impact or earthquake. Water also plays a major role in how devastating a tsunami can be. The deeper the water, the faster the wave travels, but deeper water allows displacement leading to a smaller wave. While still dangerous, these smaller waves could potentially travel inland far less and cause damage that is localized to a single area. On the other hand, however, if a tsunami traveling encounters shallower waters, this leads to a slowing wave that can dramatically increase in height and drive further inland. For example, the world's tallest tsunami was recorded on the night of July 9, 1958 in Latuya Bay, Alaska. Following an earthquake, along the Fairweather Fault, over 40 million cubic yards of rock plunged into Lutuya Bay from approximately 3,000 feet. The resulting tsunami that occurred was recorded at reaching over 1,720 feet tall, wiping away any vegetation from the mountain. One of the interesting characteristics about tsunamis is that they have a life cycle, and that occurs in four stages. The first being the initiation event, following either an earthquake, meteorite impact, or an undersea volcano or landslide. During this point is when the large wave reverberates out. The next stage is called the split stage, when the initial wave splits in two. One wave will travel across open water and the other will impact the closest coastline. The third phase is called the amplification phase. During this is when the wave will increase in height as it travels toward the coastline, leading to a steep wave. The last phase is called the run-up stage, when the wave impacts land. Once on land, part of the tsunami is reflected back into the ocean and another is trapped in waves that travel back and forth near the shore. Unlike waves that you commonly associate with a fun day at the beach, tsunamis are not that and in fact do not show a face, which is what surf words need to grip the water. Meaning no, unfortunately you can't shred a tsunami. Another key characteristic is that tsunamis do not generally stop once on land and can carry water inland for several miles. Depending on the type of coastline, a tsunami can form what is called an edge wave that can travel back and forth between land and sea several times causing far more destruction. According to the United States Geological Survey, the first wave during a tsunami event is typically not the strongest and can be a set of several waves, hence the importance of not returning to the beach for several hours following an impact. Being able to identify these key characteristics will not only save your life, but better prepare you for future events should they occur. Tsunamis create unique warning signs that should never be ignored no matter your level of comfort around a body of water. 
Waves do not care if you're an expert swimmer or surfer, and these waves are truly unlike anything you've ever experienced in your life. The first warning sign is, of course, an announcement from any government alert system indicating a warning for your local area. There are three additional warning phases that I will walk you through now. The first is a tsunami watch. This means that a tsunami is possible, however not directly a cause for concern at this point. You should remain tuned to local weather stations or keep a weather radio handy if traveling away from your residence. The next is an advisory. During this alert type, the threat of a tsunami is present and you should have begun preparing to evacuate away from the coastline and seek higher ground. During a tsunami warning, this is the point when you should avoid the coastline at all costs and have already traveled to higher ground. Strong waves and currents are forecast for your area. Remain inland until government agencies issue the all clear. So, you've just been informed that a tsunami impact will occur within the next 5 hours and you have little time to prepare. Due to this limited amount of time, you must quickly decide what you must do. First and foremost is to ensure that you are safe from the initiating events such as an earthquake, volcanic eruption, or meteorite impact. The next is to heed all emergency alerts and information that is provided as this could tell you where and how to evacuate and which routes are safest to use. Do not wait to evacuate as the longer you do, the worse the traffic and panic will become. If you are in a boat, go out to sea as the wave is far smaller and safer to traverse. During the tsunami impact, be sure to avoid waters as these can contain debris that can drag you under and contain chemicals that are detrimental to your health. While COVID cannot be spread through water, there are other debris and chemicals that could significantly affect your health such as gasoline, chemicals from factory, and decaying bodies. While in recent history the east coast has not experienced a tsunami impact, that's not to say that it can never happen. As with any natural disaster here on the planet, you can never rule out the possibility of it occurring. One of the only tsunami generating subduction zones in the Atlantic Ocean is in the Caribbean Sea. If a tsunami were to originate from this point, many would have mere seconds to understand their fate, so a significant earthquake originate from this subduction zone. One of the most damaging tsunamis to ever occur along the subduction zone was in 1946 following an earthquake. According to the United States Geological Survey, a tsunami struck northeastern Hispaniola and moved inland for several kilometers. Some reports indicate that nearly 1,800 people drowned. With such an active subduction zone this close to the most populated coastal region in the United States, and equally as dense along the South American coastline, more must be done to prepare those in the line of fire. This region has high seismicity and large earthquakes. Examples include a magnitude 7.5 earthquake centered northwest of Puerto Rico in 1943, and magnitude 8.1 and 6.9 earthquakes north of Hispaniola in 1946 and 1953, respectively. Historically, other large earthquakes have also struck the area, such as one in 1787, a magnitude 8.1, possibly in the Puerto Rico Trench, and one in 1867, a magnitude 7.5, between St. Thomas and St. Croix and the Anagata Trough. A draft, United States Geological Survey hazard map places equal probability for damaging ground motion for Mayaguez in western Puerto Rico as for Seattle, Washington. Other Puerto Rican cities also have substantial risk. It's evident that there is a risk here for tsunami events along the east coast and little has been done to prepare those in harm's way for the possibility that their lives could one day be abruptly interrupted. Due to this risk, I believe it to be necessary that a local emergency management agencies should begin teaching their citizens the importance of being tsunami ready and to have a plan that will effectively get them out of harm's way. Luckily, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration have drilled and continue to drill to prepare those communities that could be affected by tsunami events. During Lantex 21, a theoretical earthquake of a magnitude 8.8 .8 struck approximately 345 miles west-southwest from Lipson, Portugal. The intent of these exercises is to raise awareness of the threat that tsunamis pose here on the east coast.
There are several risks that could lead to a tsunami here on the east coast to include incredibly active fault lines and volcanoes that are actively erupting to this day. One of the remaining risks is something that is incredibly hard to predict and another topic that we will cover on a future episode. A meteorite impacting somewhere deep in the Atlantic Ocean would be a cause for significant concern as the height of the wave originating from the site of the impact could lead to catastrophic results along the coast. According to a March 27, 2003 article written by Tim Stevens at the University of California, Santa Cruz, he used an asteroid named 1950DA as an example of exactly what the worst case scenario could be if the Atlantic was impacted by a large impactor. A 60,000 megaton blast of the impact vaporizes the asteroid and blows a cavity in the ocean 11 miles across and all the way down to the seafloor, which is about 3 miles deep at that point. The blast even excavates some of the seafloor. Water then rushes back in to fill the cavity and a ring of waves spreads out in all directions. The impact creates tsunami waves of all frequencies and wavelengths, with a peak wavelength about the same as the diameter of the cavity. Because lower frequency waves travel faster than waves with higher frequencies, the initial impulse spreads out into a series of waves. While for this episode, we aren't going to focus on an impact of a meteorite, this is one of the risks that there's only so much preparation you can do. I'm going to take a quick break here as we wrap up the first half of this episode. Whether you're driving, walking, or running, take a few minutes here to breathe and ask yourself if you are indeed ready for any type of disaster. Do you have enough fresh water for your entire family? Do you have adequate food supplies to last? And finally, have you mentally prepared yourself that you have to support those in your family who have not prepared? If you've answered yes, then great, continue on your merry way. If you've answered no, then now is the time to prepare yourself. When you're shopping, grab an extra case of bottled water or an extra can or two of canned veggies. Doing so over time will help you to stock your shelves while not breaking the bank. Welcome back. As we move into the final half of our episode today, this is the point where I urge you to pay attention. While this is a theoretical scenario, it can happen. We may not know when or how, but it will, which is why it is so important to ensure that you are prepared. Even having the most basic supplies such as food and fresh water will help you survive long enough to be rescued by local first response agencies. For those of you who are new to this podcast, during this segment is when I present a theoretical worst case scenario. In the early morning hours of January 15, 2022, a massive 9.0 magnitude earthquake fires approximately 13 kilometers deep along the Azor-Gibraltar Transformation Fault. A large tsunami wave initiates from this point and begins translating across the Atlantic Ocean. With little time to react, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, along with the U.S. National Tsunami Warning Center, issues advisories along the eastern coast of the United States, Canada, and the Pacific Tsunami Warning Center issues advisories along the eastern coasts of the Caribbean islands and to the eastern tip of Brazil. This wave is moving fast. With initial arrival times of the first wave in approximately five hours, this gives little time to those who live on the coast to evacuate, but tens of thousands attempt the arduous journey no matter the risk. Many Department of Transportation and states where the tsunami will affect have reversed travel on both lanes of interstates and highway systems to ensure there is adequate room for those fleeing. Many attempt to seek refuge in higher floors of their residences and office buildings. And while it may initially seem like a good idea, many of these buildings lack the sufficient properties to withstand such an enormous force from a tsunami wave. Unfortunately, the only thing that many of the inhabitants on islands throughout the Caribbean can do is seek higher ground and wait as there is practically nowhere safe to go, except up. The utter chaos that has erupted here has resulted in miles-long traffic jams and many simply abandon their cars to run. As the wave travels across the Atlantic Ocean, it generates extreme forces and many satellites tracking this monster wave have calculated a speed approaching well over 500 miles per hour. Traditionally, the depth of the ocean would significantly aid in weakening the wave. 
However, that doesn't seem to be the case here, and one buoy reported an astonishing wave height of 100 feet. This tsunami will be unlike anything that anyone has ever witnessed on the eastern coast of the United States, Canada, and islands within the Caribbean. The massive earthquake that occurred earlier, a smaller 7.2 earthquake fires along the Caribbean plate, leading to smaller tsunamis translating throughout the Gulf of Mexico and impacting the shores of Texas, western Florida, and along the Mexican, Guatemalan, and Panamanian coastlines. Damage along these coastlines is severe as flooding sweeps nearly two miles inland at some points. With less than an hour before the first waves arrive along the eastern seaboard of the United States, many have realized that evacuation is impossible and instead search for higher ground such as hotels, parking garages, and attractions that are above sea level. A slight roar can now be heard by many as the wave, while still nearly 100 miles out at sea approaches. It sounds as though a freight train is rushing toward land and anxiety grows in those unaware of the danger that awaits them. Approximately 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the first wave impacts the east coast of the United States at a staggering height of 145 feet, quickly sweeping over the beaches that line the coastline. Cities such as Boston, Norfolk, Virginia Beach, Charleston, Savannah, and Miami are quickly flooded with hundreds of millions of gallons of seawater. Older, less stable buildings begin to buckle and collapse under the immense forces that are exerted as the water rushes on shore. The first wave has already reached nearly six miles inland and has led to countless drownings of those who were unable to evacuate and chose to sit in their vehicles. Due to the inadequate resources and knowledge of how to adequately prepare, many are left to essentially fend for their own lives ahead of the impact. The first wave quickly recedes back into the ocean, dragging along with it tons of debris and remnants of buildings. Twenty minutes later, the next wave, larger than the first, slams into the coastline, bringing it with it a much more forceful impact that drives ten miles inland. Lakes, ponds, and rivers also begin overwashing their banks as the water has nowhere to go but out. During this period, hundreds of thousands potentially perish due to the inability to safely evacuate or the lack of knowledge to sufficiently prepare. Over the course of the next four hours, tsunami waves continue to wash ashore, with some being much smaller and less energetic than those before it. Finally, after those four hours of waves constantly battering the coastline, the all-clear is given by both NOAA and the USGS. The destruction carries several miles inland, creating a path of destroyed buildings, debris, and death larger than what has ever been witnessed here on the east coast of the United States before. Cities such as Virginia Beach that have only limited evacuation routes suffer some of the highest casualties as a result. Over the next year, Recovery operations are slow and challenging as debris is constantly found and has to be removed and homes have to be demolished as they have been condemned as a result, similar to the flooding that was experienced during Katrina. Cities such as Boston suffer significant flooding as a result of the tsunami. However, thanks to the elevation at which this city sits, many are spared. Thanks to recent improvements in infrastructure, there are a number of evacuation routes that can be taken. Overall, as a result of the tsunami, over 250,000 are confirmed dead, with many left missing and unrecovered as a result. Following this disaster, many cities along the coast rebuilt their infrastructure to withstand another impact. Roads are re-engineered to have advanced drainage systems, and buildings are rebuilt with incredibly strong concrete foundations capable of withstanding an earthquake of a magnitude 9+, plus and are additionally able to withstand the immense forces that are a result of the tsunami. We bring this week's episode to a close. I urge you to prepare yourself. I will begin posting the weekly preparation slides that will help you to identify key warning signs of the disasters discussed during the episodes. Tsunamis are nothing to play around with, and if you are facing an active warning, seek higher ground immediately as your life depends on it. Destination Disaster will be moving to a bi-weekly upload schedule as this will help to enhance the quality and content of the episodes. During the non-episode weeks, I will release quick 30-second to 1-minute long pulses of disaster news that may not have made the national media outlets. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Destination Period Disaster, TikTok at Destination Disaster Podcast, and on Twitter at DEST underscore Disaster. There, you will find the latest updates concerning the podcast and some bonus content that may not 
be released anywhere else. Additionally, if you are able, please consider signing up for my Patreon, where each month a portion of these donations will be donated to a charity of your choice. I want to call out my first Patreon supporter, who has graciously chosen to become the highest level supporter, Thomas. Thank you for choosing to do this, as your donations will help support smaller charities that rely on donations from supporters like us. Until next week, this has been Destination Disaster. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.